0: I really love to see a background in leadership and that's really fun because that that, that kind of is interesting to me um, because there's so many different philosophies on leadership and education is a big component of all that, but that's pretty cool. So what, what brought you into leadership?
1: So interesting. Like, I wasn't intentional. I think it's just kind of natural. Um, I became a teacher and pretty quickly I was out of the classroom because I was one of those people who was on committees and then chairing committees. And then I just got involved. So I, I didn't even mean to leave the classroom. And I did quickly um, to take on leadership positions. Yeah, I think I think I care a lot about people. And that's my focus is just helping to nurture a team, a staff, people. Um. Yeah, I just it just really became beca- naturally to me to just be someone who did things and leaned in and and helped people.
0: You've done leadership and career coaching. Yes. Um. So tell me about that philosophy of sure. uh, leadership. I mean, are are there fundamentals? to mm-hmm. that? Um, and how much is it just sort of feel yeah. and experience?
1: So the, so for me, I felt really lonely as a growing leader, not having a, a natural mentor, like they're hard to find. You don't just mm. say, oh, this person's going to be your mentor. A mentor is really someone you get attracted to because you admire them and you want to learn from them. So I felt the absence of mentorship um, as I grew in, in my leadership position and heard from a lot of people that they appreciated me as a mentor. They came to me for advice. Um, I was honored to have people feel that way about me and also kind of feeling lonely that I didn't have that um, quite often. Um, so, so I went into leadership with my own tagline in my mind because eventually I, I got a, a graduate certificate in leadership coaching, and my philosophy in my mind was leadership is lonely. Because mm. it is when you're in a leadership position, quite often you have to keep confidential issues sure. you have to shoulder blame, you have to take one for the team mm. um you know, be very diplomatic. So I think that I I recognized that it was a lonely position and I sought out to um, support leaders that were in leadership positions to help them. Just have that person, you know, that they could rely on and um, strengthen as as a leader. So that was a, an attraction that I had in my leadership coaching.
0: That, that um, is a great point because I think people do have, and it is a difficult transition. It's like a tipping point to be that person within an organization, and you are, and you can be sort of in that organization, and uh, you know, middle management maybe is one way to describe it, but then to get that. Director position, or get that VP position, and even at that point, you're maybe reporting to someone for sure. But that downward responsibility, or of however you want to look at it, um, that is an interesting way to look at mm-hmm. it. Uh, that that sort of loneliness, and to be able to take accountability, and also that's right, you got to take some for the team.
1: Yeah, and I think too. Um, that blend of can you be friends with your staff that you're managing? And I have found out yes, you can. Hmm. I don't think that leaders need to be in this ivory tower that they don't have opinions that they can't go to the staff you know party um, and have a glass of wine like I that's really my approach to leadership is being a human being a human that's part of the team that's not untouchable, that's not afraid to, oh, we're all you know cleaning this up. I'm going to help too. So I think that that's really my approach to leadership is just being part of a team, being very human, being very approachable, but then at the end of the day, being willing, like I said, to take, all right, I'm going to take the lead here. I'm going to deal with the difficult stuff. You guys can go home or you know, you don't need to deal with that. Um, but I think that one time I had applied for a leadership position within, and I was told, oh, you can't, be this position because you're too friendly with with people. Yeah. And I yeah. said, "Well, oh, that's why I can be a good leader here because the person that I was replacing was actually very not friendly or personal with people and that was intentional in his style of leadership." But I was like, "That's not my style. My style is to be able to be friends with people and still be able to." And and you know, what does friends mean? It means different things. Friendly with people and friends like yeah. yes, people that I saw on the weekends and I believe that you can still be a good leader and um, you know e- what people would s- sometimes worry about is oh do does a leader have favorites? Um, maybe yes on a personal level, friends, but if everybody's treated fairly and if everybody can come to you as a leader and say I need this and the answer is yes to everybody or no to everybody, that's a good leader. So even if I'm having hikes with this person on Saturday and we're, we work together, the bottom line of fairness is the most important thing, that everybody gets the same and gets what they need and um, not preferential treatment in the workplace.
0: Yeah. There are a couple of things that come to mind uh, as you're describing this because in I know in my past, uh, having worked for people, some of the people who I was most close with, um, and were social with we're, were some of the people who I worked the hardest for personally. I mm-hmm. mean, like, yes. you know, I mean, you always work hard. Everybody works, you know, everybody works the best they can. Sure. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you, you give, you, you know, you, you give a little bit more yeah. as far as that goes. And I, I think that's one point. The other thing is, as far as leadership, what I've understood it as, and, and I believe uh, to, to a great extent is that, you know, true leadership is when you inspire people to, strive for a similar vision that Mm -hmm. same vision and if you can get people to believe in that vision you know maybe not the exact same way that the leader does or to to, to some some extent of it um then you really uh unleash the power of teamwork and Mm -hmm. that sort of thing so like i don't think that happens by separating yourself or um Artificially, if that's the right word, uh, uh, separating yourself because you feel like, oh, this is the proper thing to do because I can't be close with my employees. Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. One thing I like to do because my coaching training was... I did a lot of career coaching too. I love to find help people find the right place to be and make connections for people. So sometimes with my younger staff, when I was a principal in Boston, I would say, "Hey, I saw this job for you. You know, it's great, but it's in another school." And they would say, "What are you trying to get rid of me? Like, why would you tell me that?" No, I'm trying to grow you. Like, I think you'd be great at this. And yes, it would be a loss for me because you're fabulous, but. I want people to grow and be where they deserve to be, and you know, I do look back and I'm proud of some people that I did mentor into new positions, and you know, they're in leadership positions now. Like that's really the fruit of it, not just hoarding the best staff, you know, keeping them for yourself. Like people growing and people, my that job, one of the jobs I was at in Boston, I was there for eight years, and I was very happy, and I formed this great staff. It was 45 people, and everything was going well, but I was bored. I myself was ready for a new challenge. So I walked away from a great salary, a great team, because I believe people need to grow too. Like You can't stay too long someplace. For me, Mm. people do it. My father had the same job for 42 years, and he chose to do that for stability for his family. I think there's privilege too in in making choices to move when the time is ready and to grow. And I'm just made like that. So Mm. I often... Try to think of my staff members. Of how can how might this person like to grow? Does this person know about this opportunity? I'm never afraid of them wanting to grow. Yeah, as and that well. and that
0: inspires loyalty as well, um, and and inspires loyalty beyond because we all work in industries. Uh, to some extent, and um, you know, and you never know when you're going to see that person around the road again, and, yeah. and so forth. So it's not just about that organization. And I can tell you, yeah, I mean, if if you have a, a true leader, a true leader is really, in to some extent, almost serving the employees, serving mm-hmm. the people working for them. Even even more than those people are working, quote unquote, for uh, the leader or the or or the boss, however mm-hmm. you would like to describe it. And uh, and that's been my experience is that when I've come to uh, someone who I've reported to and said, "Hey, I really need to grow, and there's this other opportunity at another place, um, a great leader will say, that's right um, boy I am gonna miss you <laughs> yeah and it's gonna hurt to, to to lose you for for here but I am gonna fight to make sure I do everything to get you that position yeah. because that's that's what that's that's a good that's yeah. what a good, good person does
1: <laughs> it's like anything in life you can't hold on to something that doesn't want yeah. to be held down so yeah. you know best to just um, yeah,
0: yeah, that's awesome. People, help
1: people in that way. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I love it because th- because there is there is a mentality out there that says, "Oh, wait, no, we gotta." And people have been stunted in their growth mm-hmm. in their professional life because they have an organization that has a mentality that says, "No, no, no you know, this person's good here. We got to keep them there, and mm-hmm. they can't go anywhere." Um, and that happens a lot, I think, in schools. To be honest with you, yep. uh, you know, oh, you know, one teacher wants to transfer. And the principal talks to the other principal Mm -hmm. and says, no, we can't, we can't lose this person. So the person gets stuck, you know, uh, as, as maybe a teacher or something like that. Um, but that, that really shouldn't be how it goes. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I don't think so. But I mean, you know, I get. It's really hard. Like I work in a small team right now. There's there are four of us and literally we're like a car. Like we I need each four wheels. So if one of my team members is to leave, it would be really hard. And we just got momentum because we're a relatively new team. So I worry about that, of course. I'm not just like, "Oh, everybody just yeah. go live your dream." <laughs> I want to keep my team and one of my team members recently got a great opportunity. She's a writer and She applied for a grant to be paid to sit home and write. And that's her dream in life. And she wrote to me and said, You know, I got this job and I, or this grant, and I understand if you, you know, need to hire somebody new. And I thought about it and I said, No, I I want her to stay. And if we can work it out that she can give attention to that dream and she can keep a few pieces in the fire with us. We sat down. We looked at her job description. I said, "What would you like to keep?" She told me it happened to be what I would what I wanted her to keep as well. So now she's on with us still, and she's working on her goal as well. So the tire didn't fall off. It's changed a little bit, but we still have the four tires on. And you always have to be ready for change. You mm-hmm. know that's that's partly. Like, you can never get one person that just means so much. Hmm, that's not true. You have to just be ready for change, I guess is what I really mean because right now, like I said all all four of us matter, but change is inevitable, so you have to certainly as a leader always be thinking what if what if it happened not in a fearful way, just higher level bird's eye view um you know how would this work and I think you can get creative if people are creative things can work in different ways um when you face change yeah
0: be flexible yeah be innovative be creative yeah. and um and uh, you can get through it and, and maybe even be stronger on the other side i do hope that you are enjoying the podcast i just want to take a quick moment let you know that this is a production of 180 Media. That's my full service communications and marketing agency. We do a full range of content development, graphic design, web development for WordPress or Wix or other web platforms, copywriting, video work. Check out 180media.com and see also some of my past work and the agency's past work on my blog, johncroll.info. And now back to the podcast. It is the Literacy Network of Southern Berkshire mm-hmm. that you are the uh, director of. And it's interesting, um, recently on the podcast, it has it has come up that the language barrier is one of the number, is probably the number one um, issue as educators are working with families. Um, had the conversation with Brett Westbrook uh, from Head Start of mm-hmm. the Berkshires. Um, Uh, We had a conversation with America recently about the same issue and she works with the schools and families and that sort of thing. So so it it is a real issue here in the Berkshires. It sounds like we've made some progress there, but tell me about... literacy network and and what your mission is?
1: Yeah. So, we serve adults. So, we um, aim to transform lives through the power of uh, education, literacy, and advocacy. So, what does that look like? That's one-on-one tutoring with a volunteer tutor. Um, Most of our learners now are new immigrants um, learning English, um, brand new to English, or some of them maybe have a little bit under their belts. Um, We also serve of Berkshire, uh, U.S. born adults in the area too, who want to work on their GED or any kind of academic goal, really, that want to be better writers. We have some adults that have come back who've just never read a book, wanted to learn to read. So we have different scenarios, but I would say predominantly we are known for and 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 work with currently uh, the immigrant population, the Mm. Latinx population um, in in the community. Mm. Uh, We also provide citizenship prep, which is a great Um, part of our program. Um, We have about 150 adults that are being tutored right now, Um, about 130 tutors all volunteer. Some of them have more than one learner, which is great. Um, So we did try something interesting during the pandemic. Um, We reached down to work with a few high school students, immigrant high school students. So it's not in our mission. Our mission strictly says 18 and above but we said well there's this need so if an immigrant comes at 16 or 17 and they're thrown into biology class and the esl that they're provided is a spanish speaking student who's translating that's not really getting them what they need right mm-hmm. and, and the schools are looking at it they're trying to do their best but we said let's help these young immigrants because eventually if they don't get our help, they're going to need their GED. So it's best that they stay in the school system. So we piloted it. Um, We'd like to keep looking at that. We have a few successful situations. I mean, sometimes they're teenagers and they have so much going on that they might not be able to make time for this extra tutoring outside of school, or they're just getting acclimated here. But um, that's, that's, generally um, the services that we provide and
0: I, and I think the it sounds to me like the literacy network is maybe interestingly maybe even better equipped I, you know than that the schools because that's kind of what you do that's your thing so whether the whether people are just a little bit under 18 or over 18 there's a sort of common denominator there that in all likelihood they are recent immigrants who do not know English and you've Gotten really, really good. Yeah, I presume at um, at helping those people, those individuals. Yeah,
1: and we're trying to get better and better. And we do want to do it in partnership with the school. That's the best for the learner. So we have had some teachers that have been really collaborative. um, We're just trying to look at it. We have one great situation: a young man who um, had an opportunity for a great scholarship, but the scholarship itself asked him to stay back a year to to work on his English. He wasn't sure he wanted to do it because he wanted to keep moving ahead. And that feels like a punishment to stay back. Right. But he chose to do it. And we provided him with a tutor who was helping him continue to work on his English. Then we got him an additional tutor to help him work on his writing. He just got this fantastic scholarship that's basically going to, you know, put him through school. They now provide extra support in writing. So it was a really, great thing to do. So worthwhile to take on a 16-year-old, even if it wasn't in our mission to help this young man uh, Mm. reach that goal. So
0: So you have the the core four uh, at the uh, organization level, but then I presume that there are many volunteers. Mm -hmm. Uh, So what does that look like on a day-to-day basis and, um, you know, you don't need to just throw numbers out, but I I presume that there are many, many people who are taking time out of uh, their lives in order to help other people through the organization.
1: Yeah. I mean, we couldn't do what we do without the tutors. I mean, it's amazing. So we have, um, before the pandemic, I would say typically the volunteer were retired folks who live in the area. Yeah. Fantastic. And they would, um, Sometimes they'd leave in the winter and go to Florida, so tutoring would stop. Um, during the pandemic, we had so many different kinds of people come to us. We have some high school students that are tutoring, college students. All different ages. So really the tutors are um, from different walks of life. We've had former students come back and want to be tutors as well. We had a gentleman who just got his citizenship um, through our scholarship that we have, the Cater Family Scholarship. And he said, I'd like to tutor now, which is great, you know, just to have that um mm. giving back in that way. We get them from different places too we have you know it's it's amazing and we track that of how they hear about us and um we're always looking for tutors so we're looking for tutors now if you're out there (laughs) um And it's, it's people come to us and they say, Oh, I don't speak Spanish. That's okay. Oh, I'm not a teacher. That's okay. It really just takes a kind person who wants to be patient with themselves. Even we provide coaching, we provide handholding, we have resources. Like we're really there for people. We um, sometimes pair them with a, with a mentor tutor, a peer tutor. So they have Mm -hmm. someone to turn to. And after years of school administration, (laughs) where I dealt with complaints and problems all day long. This is a wonderful job because the tutors never call and say I quit. This is this is terrible. <laughs> Forget it, you know, and the learners are grateful, the tutors are grateful, the donors feel really good about contributing in any way they can, big and small amounts. The board is wonderful. We have a really great board and people are just happy. It's just a feel good, pretty easy community um event like now, a community
0: system program do, do tutors have to be bilingual No. Nope. okay so yeah. that's kind of an interesting thing because i think you hear um you know people who oh i'm, I'm going to go to china to go teach english well you, you you don't necessarily have to be fluent in chinese because you you know the english yes. <laughs> you know so that's an interesting point because you know as you're speaking you know if i'm thinking that hmm who who is qualified to do this i'm sure our listeners are as well so you can just speak English Absolutely. and help someone who is learning English. It probably wouldn't hurt if they're bilingual. It's I'm, great I'm sure. if they are. Yeah. I mean, but <laughs> it's know.
1: not, we don't look for it at all. We're not seeking it out because in some ways, um, yeah, English is what our learners need. So if they work harder, if they can't they don't have a common language but of course we love having people who are teachers and who have learned another language because they understand it have lived in another culture but we have so many different tutors and like I said it's it's been successful because we guide them as well. I mean we have people who have come from the financial world who never taught or um, you know perhaps don't speak another language and they're just trying to um, do something good with their time and it's pretty simple it's like an hour two hours a week it's a nice relationship. I mean, people, some people get really close. We have a pair that's been working together for over 30 years. Hmm. So we, for as long as we've been together, um, hmm. I mean, uh, alive as an organization. So um, we have some special relationships that have had really long time together.
0: With all this uh, time and experience, um, is there sort of an average amount? Because we Had a lot of conversations with people on this podcast people who came to this country and didn't know any english Mm -hmm. and are now quite fluent um you know how long does that take with you know sort of intensive process and i don't know if sessions would be something like once a week Mm -hmm. or you know more often i mean depending on how uh how committed someone is or how motivated someone is i guess um is is the way to describe it but you know what does that look like from not knowing any English to some level of fluency.
1: Yeah, it really differs per person, like anything. Um, And some of our learners only have their one hour a week with the tutor. Other than that, they're working in a Spanish crew or whatever language they may speak. Um, So it really differs. But I witnessed a um, a tutoring session where a woman walked out in her first session being able to say, hi, how are you? Um, How old are you? Um, When is your birthday? Um, You know, it's like four different sentences. And um, just through repetition, be able to say it and ask it. And so, you know, ideally the next session, they would repeat that and and slowly it would come up. But um, some of our learners have more time and they're able, you know, they ask their tutors for more, and some tutors are able to give more time. Some of our, tut- our learners are at the adult language program at BCC, which is great, because they're there three days a week, then they also have a tutor. I mean, that's lucky. But many of them have more than one job and children. And um, so, I-, I think progress can be made in as short as, you know, a few weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and other people struggle, you know, they're also... Adults who have learning disabilities that are undiagnosed or blocks or, you know, they just have so many other things going on. I mean, immigration is not an easy story. It's not like someone picked up a vac- vacation pam- pamphlet and said, oh, that looks great. I'm going to go to the Berkshires. You know, immigration comes with stories and challenges and bravery and and loss typically, too. So there's um, people that have been experiencing stories mm-hmm. as well. So,
0: so um Tell me about that a little bit. Now, Literacy Network, 30 years? Is 31. That? 31 mm-hmm. years. Um, and probably when it began, and many of us in the community have heard about this organization and are relatively aware mm-hmm. of of what the organization does and, and somewhat of its history. But looking at 31 years, I have to imagine that uh, the level of need is significantly more perhaps than it was 31 years Mm -hmm. ago and it was probably significant then but uh, but the number of tutors the actual size of the organization is probably a lot larger i don't know how many people you serve on an annual basis now but um but i assume that's grown
1: yeah so it was founded in 1991 by two special educators who wanted to work with the illiterate in the, in Berkshire County. So American-born people, people, mm-hmm. um, and there were some adults who had never knew they had a learning disability, had dyslexia. So that was the original um, clientele. Yeah,
0: interesting. Yeah. I never even thought of it mm-hmm. that way, uh, just because of you know the more I guess recent history. Yeah. Um, so you know, as with, early with as the 90s, yeah. though.
1: So so this was 91. So pretty soon thereafter. Five years later, nineteen ninety-six, immigrant immigrants began coming to Berkshire County more and more. And you know, the, the even the map of who the immigrants are has changed over time as well. Like currently, there are tons of Colombians in 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 Berkshire County. Mm-hmm. People say, "Oh, why?" It's like any immigration story, right? Too like I'm Irish we went to boston guess tons of irish went to boston right mm-hmm. that's what happens with immigrants in new york city there's korea town because there's community there so colombians have friends here that say oh we it's a great place to live i have a place for you to stay so the colombian community has really grown here um even in the middle of covid there'll be brand new immigrants who you know in the dark days of covid like 2020 days, new immigrants were still coming, and um, but a lot of Ecuadorians, Guatemalans. There's some Afghans who have come as of late as well, and but all kinds of um, diversity in the Berkshires. Actually, Berkshire County has the most diverse immigration pool out of the whole state. Hmm. So whereas Boston might have a bigger Haitian population, um, or you know groups of people, they sure. have they have more in one group. There's more uh, different one of this, four of this um, uh, diverse, global representation of immigrants in Berkshire County. That's interesting.
0: I wonder why that is.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think it's a nice place to live. Right. I mean, we ask when we intake students, we do an assessment with them. And one of the questions that's just like automated in this assessment is what do you like about living in Berkshire County? Oh, nature, the people, you know, they just, it's safe. I mean, all of those things, which which all of us like about living here too. People who have lived in different places and cities. It's like mm. it's great here. I mean, there's a lot of great things about Berkshire County. So mm. I think that that's, you know, what attracts them here.
0: And then from an economic, economic standpoint, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, I knowing the language i'm sure is is, is hugely beneficial for uh, employment um, although not you know necessary in, in 100% of positions mm-hmm. um, uh, for sure but you know talk to me about that um you work with uh, the business community. Yeah. Um, what do you hear about as far as what their needs are? What the what individuals are are needing in regard to getting gainful employment? Yeah, um, tell me about that uh, picture.
1: Some great question, is because something we're thinking about a lot right now. Yeah, um, we just did like a campaign, a, a, a fundraising campaign, and our tagline was "Investing in Berkshire County Workforce," saying we there are immigrants here that want to work and we know of all the places that are struggling to hire people that are closing down because they don't have staff well immigrants want to work they're here and they want to work and we can help them get their english up if businesses want to invest in them and good workers committed want to be here so we're trying to get that message out that english isn't um, doesn't have to be a barrier. Um, we are really excited. Um, Berkshire Meadows, which is in um, Housatonic, Great right? Barrington. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the directors reached out to us. She has a staff of you know 10, 12 Latinx people and she said we want to provide tutors for them. You can come to our place of work. Mm-hmm. In some instances, they're paying them to be while they're tutored. So it's a great idea. She's investing in her own staff. Um, She's providing for them to to make it happen so they don't have to leave work and make it happen somewhere else. It's so smart. And like I was saying before, she also isn't trying to keep them there. There's a young man who's 19. He needs to get his GED and he wants to be a mechanic. She's really excited about that for him. So that idea of like, don't hold him here and say, I'm going to teach you English and now you belong here. But what do you want to do? It's possible. So I love that model. Yeah. So we really this morning, my colleague Miguel and I um, were at the E All had a small business resource fair um, at the Stationery Factory, and we were there. We had a table just telling people, you know, and we had signs up saying, "Don't you know you don't need to have staff turnover. Invest in who you have, and we're here to help people do that." So I think it's a smart thing for. Businesses to think about again—all these closing businesses and changing businesses—and that's great if people want to. But if people's businesses are changing because they don't have help, I think that there's a way we can um, partner um, with businesses and and help on yeah. that front. So. And
0: and it's a very efficient model uh, yeah. because volunteer. So you know, from a business standpoint. Uh, from a cost-benefit analysis, um, being able to uh, provide support uh, donation-wise in particular, um, because that's, you know, you got to pay for everything that the organization does. Mm -hmm. Um, But with that said, volunteer-powered in a lot of ways, then you get a lot of bang for your buck out of that. So businesses that are able to have people who are learning uh, the language and uh, benefiting from that, I mean, it's uh, it seems like a model that makes a lot of sense.
1: I think so. And guess who else benefits our whole entire, entire county? Because then economically, sure. these businesses are doing well. The immigrants are people in our community. We want them to be doing well as also, right? We want them. Mm-hmm. A lot of immigrants are beginning to buy homes, too. Yeah. So,
0: I mean, we want. And also who are involved in their children's education and that that was part of our uh, conversation um with america and and with brett is that it's very difficult to be engaged in your child's education if you yourself are not speaking english and i know in the Pittsfield public schools We've tried to address that and are starting to mm-hmm. in a better way for those who um, have English as a second language and making sure that there is uh, secondary uh, Spanish uh, opportunities for people to understand what what's happening. but uh, but there's nothing better than you know having everyone be able to communicate on the same page. So and that and that does help and you yeah. and you want the parents involved in their children's education Absolutely. and so ha- and having those individuals learning English, is uh is super helpful
1: america's role that's a great that was a great addition and really smart and needed so it's i'm really was happy that the brookshire hill school the brookshire regional school district decided to implement a position like that and she's perfect for the job too as a mom as an immigrant herself as a bilingual person she's really connected to the services in the area too so yeah bravo to
0: that Now, what brought you to the Berkshires?
1: I grew up here. So I I was here. Um, we were New Yorkers who had the weekend house here. And my, my parents would drag us every weekend up here. Rats I had to leave the city. But of course, as soon as I got up here, I loved it. We had animals and we had a farm in Sheffield and, you know, just could not be a New York City teenager as I grew up, be a Sheffield <laughs> kid. And then um, when I was in ninth grade, we moved up here permanently. Mm. So I left at 18 for college never thought i'd come back no offense i didn't think i wouldn't i I just went i went to boston i went to san francisco i went overseas and i just thought that's what i was doing and then i came to a place where i was in transition and um there was a job open at berkshire country day school and i was like this is perfect so i've been here now since 2016 i own a house i love it um, my family's nearby. Um, I love being here. So it's tell great. me
0: about uh, and then so yeah, we talked about the leadership because I I just love that uh, side of things, but um, but education as a career, because mm-hmm. that's been what you have uh primarily done. Um so what made you decide to go in that field?
1: Into education?
0: Into education, yeah. Yeah,
1: it was a funny thing. I went into um, I worked in a daycare after school here in the Berkshires, old bear care. Everybody probably remembers bear care um, down <laughs> in South County, but I was an, I was a after school in my senior year of high school and the woman, Jennifer Henderson, who was a mentor. When I talked about not having mentors, she was a mentor. She's passed, but she said to me, you're a natural. You should be a teacher. She really encouraged me and I didn't know really what I wanted to do. And so she m- encouraged me to apply to Leslie university in, in Cambridge and, it was just amazing. So I went as an, in as a teaching major. I wasn't feeling my classmates. They were really more excited about it than I was. Mm-hmm. I thought maybe I was more into the psychology of teaching. So I got a social work degree instead. I said, oh, this is my place with kids. But my first year out of school, I worked at a school for emotionally disturbed boys. And I said, oh, there's both the psychology and the creativity of the classroom it's really one and the same you know i i think i was bored with the a is for apple and numbers and like i was interested in the social emotional side of children um and realizing that's really the power in the classroom and the important role of course teaching reading and foundational skills are as well but i really loved kids and much like i'm talking about Adults. I was the same way with kids. Like, who are you? What do you want to do? Do it. Let's do it. What are your strengths? You know, who who are you? And shine and go go here. Try this. And I like that about about kids.
0: Yeah. Now you're not in public education right now, but I'm sure you follow it closely Mm -hmm. as uh, being uh, the professional um, in that in that world. Um, And I believe that you know we're starting to see finally maybe some legitimate solid pushback to education reform in Massachusetts and the MCAS mm-hmm. and uh, the high stakes testing. Um, I'm, I, I'm, I, I'm sure some people looked at it as a slow motion uh, train wreck, you know, in, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. I kind of looked at it that way um, years ago and, and astonished today that we still are on the same track. Anyway, mm-hmm. not to insert my opinion, but uh, <laughs> but you know your your thoughts on mm-hmm. where we are. Um, it, it, I mean, m- I mean, maybe you think it was a great track. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, no. no.
1: I, so interestingly, I set out to be a public school teacher, mm-hmm. and I I went into a. Um, independent school kind of accidentally, but beautifully, and and no worries. Um, I did spend two years in a charter school. So, a charter school is a public school, but it's a little different. Right, right. Now, charter schools are really committed to the MCAS because that's kind of their fight to like, yeah. look, we're doing something better.
0: Yeah.
1: I happened to see- It was, see, still, the sa-
0: it was the still the same measure. Absolutely. Except, you know, we're going to do it differently. We're going to have
1: two teachers in yeah. the class. We're going to have longer hours. I saw- cheating let's say so i saw things that were not good for kids were not true skewed data um i just it's such a trick it's like we can't we have to somehow have some measurements right but then teachers getting judged by them is that fair because that leads to cheating right potentially so i guess I don't know. I don't least, know what the a, answer at the very least, is. Teaching and,
0: to a test that yeah. doesn't—that really focuses on a narrow area. When we as human beings, children, uh, there, there are so many directions that, that someone can go in and be successful in the world. I mean and just put that aside mm-hmm. we're all just complex people and yes. you know and measuring on such sort of a narrow level um it just doesn't seem right, right. it just it, it, it's great for number crunchers but the other thing i think it was detrimental to are simply uh marginalized schools yes um, because Absolutely. and that's you know,
1: what it was really for right yeah. it really was it was for just saying let's make sure um the the kids are good enough when, and that was like the such a low bar. The good enough was actually such a low bar on mm. those tests, anyway. When I was at that charter school, this um, uh, I was the head of the lower school, and my fourth graders they were all Latinx, so mostly Dominican, Puerto Rican, Cuban kids. Um, they were so into high school musical was out at the time, and they loved to sing and dance. So my colleague and I, one of the teachers, wrote a musical for them. And it was after so at the end of the day, we would rehearse it, and somebody tattletailed on me to the owner of this charter school that I was cutting into academic time. Mm. And I said, I believe they can do both. I believe they need to do both. This kid, this group was so talented. And they came together so passionately around this, theater project. The The kid who was the biggest behavior problem was cast as the lead. He needed that. Yeah. The shyest girl was cast as the lead. She needed that. So somebody literally tattled on me that I was breaking kind of the academic code. And I said, okay, fine. We're going to do it after school. And when they went to um, perform, they hadn't had enough rehearsal time. I said, guys, we're just going to do our best. And they were so great. Yeah, they were so great. But it was just sad to me to say that no academic time could be, you know, cost uh, no no fun, no creativity, no what they really needed could be added, and they just had to study, 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 practice, practice, and so,
0: and there has to be mountains and mountains of research that show that um, instilling the arts, instilling music, and in all of these things that we look at as oh, this is the, you know the arts or the creative, but that but that's not ironclad stuff yeah. because it's it's got to be math and, and English language learning and, and what have you, but all of that. Is so powerful to building strong minds yes. and you know uh, building connections and being able to see the world more broadly mm-hmm. and um, I it it's amazing that we've allowed this to I go know. so far and just pushing music out uh, as much as possible mm-hmm. art uh, out of the classroom and, you know instead of relegating we're relegating it now to maybe mm-hmm. after school if we're yeah. lucky man i know we've, we've, it's, we've really gone a a, a a strike.
1: yeah and it's such a challenge right there's so much that is important that could happen in the day it's it's really is hard to to know you know what belongs in the day and what doesn't but it doesn't feel right what's happening definitely doesn't feel right and it feels like we're always trying to figure that out and yeah. um
0: Yeah, yeah, it's a challenge. (laughs) Uh, It's a symposium. I think we have to have a symposium on this. You can can be on the forum along with uh, my friend Ty Jackson, you know, because we talked about how, why, you know, I mean, of all the things that kids are meant to learn, they don't know anything about balancing a checkbook, you know, when they get out of school. So, you know, you think there'd be foundational things, but what about the most basic foundational Mm -hmm. thing if you're going to be very pragmatic, but then also... The arts
1: during COVID. I don't know if you heard about the club program that happened at Greenagers April Hill Farm. Mm. So it was Greenagers and Flying Cloud. Um, VIM helped as well. I believe Alana Steinauer from VIM helped with this. But here were these a lot of the immigrant kids. Their families weren't home and couldn't be home during the day, and some other single parents, and so they had formed this school was an outdoor school. It was so cool. I got to go down there once a week and bring tutors as well. It was on a farm. So these kids are seeing animals. They barely went inside because it was COVID too. They're trying to stay outside. These kids were building fires. They were mm-hmm. mending fences. They were tending chickens and they're doing their Berkshire Hills schoolwork on iPads outside by the fire. But when they finished their work, they were doing farm work for me. That was just beautiful. And I reached out actually to Will from Greenagers and Maria from flying cloud after. And I said, this school needs to be continue like COVID aside, like what a great school, mm. but you know, it's difficult because the numbers in the school system are so small too. like to, fr- to have another, option would divide kids and they didn't want it to be a, a private school because then it's exclusive so it just becomes it's so difficult to yeah to create all alternative options that are yeah. inclusive and
0: possible yeah and and that's in a in a way that it was it's made possible and typically the public schools teachers Hands are so tied,
1: yes, and
0: they're uh, so beholden to the curriculum, and yeah. you can't go anywhere near um, the other side of that, the guardrail. Mm-hmm. Um, and they in order to follow the curriculum and everything, it's it's basically all of your time. Mm-hmm. So it takes a lot of the creativity out of it. And teachers have been talking about this for years now. That it's like, why do you go into teaching if you're only going to be allowed to teach things? not only teach these things but teach them this way as opposed to using your creativity to reach an individual because every student is different
1: yeah that's really it's a (laughs) a huge dilemma yeah it's a huge dilemma
0: yeah so Mm -hmm. hopefully we're pushing back enough at least to the very least uh, we're seeing political pushback mm-hmm. finally uh, to, to the high stakes uh, testing mm-hmm. um maybe COVID had something to do with that sure. uh, because a lot of people wanted MCAS to, to go away mm-hmm. at least for that year because it was kind of an impossible task uh, to expect uh, students to be able to um succeed mm-hmm. uh, with that little amount of time that was spent during the, the lockdown period but um teaching kids it's a beautiful thing mm-hmm. i mean and they learn quick and they are amazing little human beings absolutely uh, the fundraising mm-hmm. um is something that is is that an ongoing uh task uh, for uh, yeah for i network? mean
1: We need books. We need resources. We have staff to pay, obviously. Um, So we we try to be creative about it and we're grateful. We have some great supporters and, um, you know, so we are having a fun event in the fall, which (laughs) we're trying to. We've moved away from these white tablecloth events that are kind of. exclusive to try to have more inclusive events so this event that we're having in the fall is going to be a latin themed night it's going to be dancing and food and uh, we are, are one of the options on our um, RSVP ticket is to donate a ticket to one of our learners. So we're going to be giving away tickets to some, our learners who are interested in being there. So it's not just the donors and the board and the staff, but actually the community that we serve. Um, So we have an idea too about maybe um, in the middle of, it's a six to 10 event and there'll be dancing on the end of it that will, you know, maybe open the doors at a certain time for our learners for, you know, a cheaper price that they could come in and dance and drink and have dessert. And um, we want them to be there. And we, it's, we also need to raise money. So we're really just trying to think of ways to be inclusive um, with our community. And um, so that's fun.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, because everybody's raising money out there, <laughs> right? You know? Right. And so, you know, to to do something a little bit different, yeah. But I, I think the uh, Berkshire Museum, I think, did that one time where it was um, they kind of had the okay, they had the dinner and everything, yeah, for the high end, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and you need those uh, high end uh, uh, donors, yes. Uh, but then at a certain period of the night when the the music was going and and everything, they they let everyone else in for far far less, yeah. I think it's a good idea. The big overhead.
1: And I think the donors who pay a lot can and want to, you know, they Mm -hmm. understand that that's, that's what it is. So, um, yeah, we've, we've, we have great donors and we're grateful to them and, um, You know, we did some creative stuff this last round as we prepared for our um, sponsorship. I think I can say this. James Taylor, if you're listening, we sent you a letter. James Taylor.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Paging. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we had... Did you go go to Tanglewood uh, uh, this year with James Taylor? I did not. I did not, but we... he was actually really funny Uh um i have to tell you uh Mm -hmm. you know and he played all the the normal songs and you know and uh the turnpike from stockbridge to boston Mm -hmm. and and great cheers and everything but he had some really good stories in between probably him personally Mm -hmm. was far more entertaining than he's ever been so nice maybe he's in a good mood this year i don't know Well, well, Uh, we had just answer the phone uh, yeah we
1: we were saying you know who who like Our message to him was, it's great, you're coming back to Tangle with the Berkshires is is alive and hotels are booked and Airbnbs and all that. Well, who's going to serve the food and who's going to clean the hotels? The immigrants are. So help us make the Berkshires successful this summer by donating. So, James, it's not too late.
0: <laughs> yeah, and and I think you know people have acknowledged that for a very long time that uh, our immigrant population are the individuals uh, who fill many of these service positions, hospitality uh, positions, as they're new to this uh, county in this yeah. country, mm-hmm. um, and they do uh, wonderful work. And we, as Berkshire County, probably could not function without. The power of immigrants. Yeah,
1: I wanted to circle back to something that might be might fit very nicely. I mentioned not having a mentor. Mm. Um, I have one now, and it's my board president, and it's mm. just again luck. Like you don't, you you can't pick a mentor. Like it's a natural thing. But, um, the litnet board president, I have learned so much from her. Um, I thought. My last role was being an associate head of school, and I thought I wanted to be a head of school uh, in the private world. And I was told, oh, you don't have financial experience. You know, you haven't run a budget. And I said, well, how does one get that? Like, what do I need to do to get that? Oh, no, no, no. Um, Merle has taught me about um, developing budgets, fundraising. I never had to do that as a school administrator. You know, so I really she's really. Taught me. I've learned new things. I've learned a new skill set. I used to just like freak out if I saw an Excel spreadsheet with numbers and how does that work? So it's been really great. Um, She's somebody that I I, like, I laugh with her, but also not so much lately, but pretty much for the last year and a half. Every time I had a call with her, I got nervous, like, oh my God, Merle, you know, like in a good way, though, like, because I wanted to because she's smart and i wanted and i wanted to make sure i did everything that we had talked about that i did it well and so it was this healthy like um admiration for her and and again wanting to grow and learn and um i just can't say how good it fe- like having a mentor in general just um is a good thing. So I feel fortunate that um, I have that in my current role. Someone that I've been learning from has taught me about, I've never been in the nonprofit world before either. So I've learned not the nonprofit world. I've learned so much about Berkshire County, actually, by being in a nonprofit as well. Mm. I've met more people than I ever did in a school job because I'm out in the community and and doing things. But um, the mentorship piece has been great. I feel like no, my, i don't know what my future is but knowing me eventually there'll be a change i'm i'm really happy at litton and i'm i'm not going anywhere now but i feel like i'm going to when i move, when i do move on at some point i'm leaving with a new toolkit of great things that i that somebody took the time to teach me and show me and mentor me and i guess i'd it circles so nicely to the things we've been talking about that I felt like I wanted to say that, not only to share my own story and brag about um Merle, who's our board president and our connection, but to w- just say that to people. Like again, you, you you can't just go out and find and say, Will you be my mentor? It ha- it's such <laughs> a natural thing, you know, because the admiration has it. to be Will there. You be my
0: mentor? <laughs> <laughs> That isn't the worst thing in the world because people people really do they want it they want to um, because it's it's if if you don't share what you've experienced then man that really limits yeah. your experience mm-hmm. because it's like you you want to and um, and that's that's human nature I think I hope but uh, but that's amazing because no those are, those are really great points and when people look at the executive director position at a nonprofit. Yes, there are those sort of ironclad, like okay, you got to run a budget, and 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 people think about that. But that, in a lot of ways, that's kind of the easy part. Mm -hmm. In in a lot of ways, you know, because development and fundraising is can be really, really hard for some people. It's super easy. I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, everybody has their own strengths, but um, but to be able to get people to commit to something enough where they're writing checks for a nonprofit, profit mm-hmm. um you that, that's leadership because yeah. like we talked about before like when you get other people to buy into the vision and i'm sure merle is a, is a big piece of this mm-hmm. um uh, looking at that when you have other people that that's that's true leadership and that's how an organization can can thrive because yeah. you know you can you can number crunch but you gotta you gotta inspire people
1: and i think it even connects with the idea of the, what we're seeing about immigrants like take who's in front of you it's a piece of clay and if they have certain qualities that you like teach people you know like don't just someone doesn't have to come to the job with this this and this people are teachable and everybody deserves from children we've talked about today to immigrants to i'm an executive director like people like to learn and deserve to be taught and we are all learners right and and it's so important and and uh yeah
0: leadership I love mm-hmm, it <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, and and you can take that and whatever organization you know you, you're in in nonprofits especially um, you know because I, I think in a lot of ways there's an impression out there that oh the, the private sector the, that that's hard you know these people at the nonprofits or even in the public sector guess what those are really hard <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know because it's just a different model and and you really—it's—it uh, is not the easiest uh, to work with, and and for an executive director, of course, it can be. Extremely challenging because it depends on the makeup of the board. You're Mm -hmm. working, you know, you have a board of directors and a lot of dynamics there. Mm -hmm. The community, and then of course your own, your own staff, and then you know, and and volunteers and the rest. So there's a lot going on. Uh, Probably a lot, many more factors that a nonprofit executive director has to deal with and work through than your typical v p at a for profit mm-hmm. entity mm-hmm. you know it's it's much more top down yeah in in the corporate world,
1: yeah, and I think too, like so I have this great relationship with Merlin. and um board um bylaws you know uh say there's gonna be a change in a president at some point, um so that m- makes things completely different, the change of leadership and um change influences things but again like i was saying even about the staff you have to be prepared to just like okay this is this is this is what's happening now new a new frontier a new time to learn a new direction and um it happens and and it's a good thing i think rather than just staying the same course all the time so
0: keep on growing yeah yeah. keep on growing so i wish you the best and continued because your mission and, and i know and and i'm Pretty sure that LitNet is not the only organization that uh, is helping people learn English. I mean, even the Pittsfield Public Schools has an adult learning. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think your model m- makes a lot of sense, um, and it gives flexibility to the process, and also it just it 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 brings people and connects people, mm-hmm. which I think is also amazing. You know, having mentors meet people who under normal circumstances would never meet so um, so I think that's a very valuable thing
1: thank you I'm really happy to have a conversation with you today it was nice to kind of for me to um think about myself too and, and what brought me here today just um, not literally to your uh, to this chair that i'm sitting on but to the literacy network and, that was a
0: pretty good story too yeah. no, <laughs> there's always a great story of how people got in that chair that's right <laughs> It'll be a great pleasure and uh, we'll see you down the road
1: thanks so much john
0: thank you for listening you like what you hear please subscribe to the john Crow podcast on your platform of choice maybe it's apple podcasts or spotify whatever works for you also i would like to hear from you on the people and the stories that you'd like to hear more of send me a note through facebook messenger instagram linkedin i'm easy to find and i'm easy to reach i look forward to hearing from you And if you'd like to support the podcast for less than a cup of coffee, and I'm not talking about the cost of a large latte at a fancy coffee shop, no, more like a McDonald's coffee, go into the description of this episode and scroll down to the anchor.fm link. It's right there. Just click it and you can see your options or log on to anchor.fm backslash john hyphen kroll backslash support. Again, thank you for listening. I'm John Kroll. Talk to you soon.